We are continuing on in our series called The Art of Neighboring. And we're just talking about taking neighboring seriously and how we can do that better, how we can love the people around us better. And if you've been here the past couple weeks, you know that at this point, um, we take a test. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, maybe somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I knew if I went to church, they'd give me a test. It's not like that. We're taking this test. If you pull out your bulletin on the back of it, it just has this, uh, this little graph here. And uh, similar to the one there on the screen, in the middle, you are here. And we're just talking about how we can just neighbor people around us. So the eight closest houses to where you live, or if you live in an apartment building, the eight closest apartments to you, or if you live way out in the country, um, livestock does not count, okay? It has to be people. But do you know the names of those people? Can you look around and, and be like, oh yeah, I know that name and that name and that name. And so start filling them out as you go around there. And then... That's the first part. The second part is, do you know some relevant fact about them? And, and that doesn't mean, oh, they drive a red car or their dog barks incessantly at night. That's not it. Like, where you would have to actually have had a conversation with them to kind of understand what that fact is. And so then you would write that there as well. And then the third part, the most difficult part of this test is, do you know their story? Have you had an in-depth conversation with them? Have they opened up to you a little bit? Have they shared their heart with you? And so one of the ways that we're tracking in this series is every week as we come back and we look at this graph, this diagram here, are we advancing? Are we making strides? Are we getting to know our neighbors better? Another way that we're tracking with it, another visual that we have is in the lobby. If you notice when you came in, there's a bunch of doors in the lobby and we're being a little bit kind of anti what we would usually teach our children. We want you to write on the doors, all right? We want you to write the names of your neighbors on those doors, the names that you know. And if you have found something new out about them, if you have heard their story, if you know a relevant fact, if you're growing in relationship with them, when you come back the next week, would you circle those names? And so as we go through the lobby, you'll be able to look at those doors, and any name that's circled is just another step forward, another step forward in neighboring well and loving well. You know, the third thing that we're doing is we're just trying to get a picture of this church body and what it looks like in the area, in Salem, in Kaiser and around. So we ask you to text us your street name and we had over 400 responses to that. And so here's a map of where you live. And it's, it's kind of the big picture. You can see Woodburn on the top and Dallas and this great contingent here in Monmouth and Independence. And it really looks like from this vantage point, wow, we pretty much covered all of Salem. We're good. If your house was as big as a block. Because when you go in a little bit, you can see the space. And, it, and it's great. And we really appreciate that. And we can see the gaps. But this is just a map that indicates People who are committed to loving their neighbors well. And imagine the difference it will make in the city when we love our neighbors well. Now, if you have not done this, we would love for you to text us your street name. And you can just do that by, in the send, if you put it to 22333 is who you're sending it to. And then the first word of your text needs to be address for. And then you can just do your street name. And we'll just continue to track with that and see how we are committed to changing this city by loving our neighbors well. I want to begin with uh, a picture and, and just tell you this morning, for the purposes of our message, this is your life. And this is not your life in any way. We're not talking about length of years, and in no way is this indicative of what you look like. Uh, but this is your life capacity. We're going to talk about capacity, because all of us have a certain capacity in our lives. And all of us put in things in our lives, the, the big things, 
the important things, right? And we know what those are, and, and we have a certain amount of big things that we can kind of place in there before it gets to the point where it's just, we're kind of maxed out, right? You, you, you just can't take more things and stuff them in, that our, our lives are full. But we know that that's not the case, right? We know that there are countless little things that we can add to our lives, right? I don't have to list them for you. You know what they are. They're all the little day-to-day things and we keep adding them to our lives and the more we add, apparently, the dustier it gets. (laughs) And there's just thing after thing and it can be messy as you do, but you just add and add and you fill up the space in your life. Keeps coming, keeps coming, and now we're full, right? Our lives are full. Well, but we have space in our lives that maybe you didn't even know was space, because if I took some water, right, we could keep going, and we could fill up all this space that you're like, no, there's no more space. Sure, there's space, right? And we'll wait, and it'll sink in, and there's space. This is your life. And the moral of this story is this. There's always more room in your life. That's not the moral at all. Some of you were nervous like, oh, he's going to ask us to do something now. Right? No, no, the moral of the story isn't, oh, there's all kind of space in your life, and if you work really hard, you can take time, and you can cram all kind of other stuff in. No, the moral of the story is this. If I hadn't put the big rocks in first, they never would have made it. If I didn't put the big rocks in first, they would have gotten squeezed out by the countless other little things that we fill our lives with. You see, if you don't focus on the important things, they take a backseat to the less important things. How many times have you woken up in the morning and you thought, man, I am gonna do something significant today, only to get to the end of your day and feel like, oh man, I missed so many opportunities to do something significant today because all of the little things in my life crowded out the big rocks. This morning we're gonna talk about what those big rocks are. And if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 22. If you wanna grab one from the pew there, it's just on page 1555. And we're talking about what the big rocks are. See, someone asked Jesus at a certain point, Jesus, what are the big rocks? And he gave this answer. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he, speaking of Jesus, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So this teacher comes, this, this, this person comes who's an expert in the law, and, and he says, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Now we know Exodus chapter 20, we have the 10 commandments, right? And so Jesus really should just be able to say, okay, here's the most important commandment of those 10. It seems like an easy question, right? But what had happened is the leaders of the religious law had taken those 10 commandments and they had kind of broken them down a little bit and they had turned them into a very manageable 613 commandments, right? 248 in the positive, 248 commandments of things that you could do and those were to symbolize members of the body. They had it broken down so that you could remember it and, and I don't know how they did this but as I'm reading it's, you know, your finger has three 
You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And as they went, you were supposed to remember these 248 by, by all of these joints and ligaments and parts of your body. That was your memory device. And there were 365 in the negative, 365 things you weren't supposed to do related to the days of the year. And so that's how they would track with these 613. Now, in addition to these 613, they added 1,521 amendments, right? And these are all kind of crazy things. Like if you were riding on your donkey on the Sabbath, you could ride it for a short distance, but you couldn't beat it with a stick because that was laying a burden on it. That was against the law. You could swallow vinegar, but you couldn't gargle with it. That's against the law. I don't know why. I looked that one up. I couldn't find it, right? So this past week, I'm reading through all 613 of these, and I am just getting totally bogged down. And, and so I can see why there'd be this question. Okay, it's not just 10 commandments. There's just a ton of things that we're supposed to focus on. And so this person comes to Jesus with this question. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Tell me which one is heavier, because certain ones have to weigh more than others. I have to be able to focus on certain commandments or not. So this guy's coming to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, what are the big rocks? You see, some of the Pharisees had their own ideas. Some said that keeping the Sabbath was the measure of a man. And if you kept the Sabbath, then everything else would spill out from there. And they all had certain ideas. And so they were trying to trap Jesus. Jesus, what's the big rock? Tell us what the big rock is. Verse 37, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter six, and he says, you just have to love God with everything that's in you, that nothing is supposed to take preference over who God is. This is the first thing. This is the big rock, right? Love God with all that you have. Verse 39, it says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus quotes Leviticus chapter 19. And he gives them a second. Now, they didn't ask for a second, but Jesus gives it to them anyway, right? Because he's taking it from the, from the abstract, from the, the theoretical to the very practical, you see, in some sense, it can be easy to say, I love God, because it's not tangible. You know, God is spirit. How do you love God? How does that look? There's a mystery to it. So you can get away with saying, I love God with all my heart. But what he was doing was, he was taking it then to, no, here's how you practically do that. You can't get away saying, I love my neighbor with all my heart, unless you do something. Jesus was taking it from kind of this head, from kind of the heart, and he was moving it to the hands and to the feet. And he was saying, no, here's how you do something. He said, equally as important as loving God is loving your neighbor, as doing something for your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you want to be neighbored? That's how you're to love your neighbor. Think about that for a minute. How do you want to be neighbored? You want friendly people as your neighbors. You want people that would care for your family. We want people that watch out for our children when they're out in front of our house. We want people that maybe help us with projects. We want people that we can call in an emergency. Or you want somebody that you can go to and borrow a tool or a cup of sugar or fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. 
all of the important things, right? You want somebody that knows your name. That's how you want to be neighbored. And so Jesus says, of all of these, all of these things you know, the Ten Commandments and the 613 and the 1500 Amendments, everything is summed up in, in these two big rocks, and we want to focus on these rocks. Love God with everything that's in you, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the things that you need to focus on. And yet, we're not so great at the neighboring thing. It doesn't always get first on the list. We, we have difficulty neighboring well. And you know what the, the, the number one obstacle to neighboring well is? It's time. It's time. But if we're going to take this great commandment seriously, eventually we're going to become conflicted. Because we already have a family. We already have a job. We already have other relationships. We don't have any more room in our schedule. We're maxed out. We're overwhelmed. We're not living our lives at a pace that allows us to neighbor well. And so time is that obstacle. And I keep thinking, what happened to the technology that was supposed to give us more time? What happened to the technology that was supposed to make our lives easier? Weren't things supposed to be invented to help us with that? I was looking this past week online. I don't know what that is, but I want one. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome if that's how you traveled around, you just got around in your own little private Superman thing? So I'm not sure that's gonna work, but flying cars, right? Weren't we promised flying cars? Shouldn't we be flying around in cars by now? That's safe. Um, how about this? That's a hoverboard, and I'm honestly not sure how that saves time. I just thought it was really cool, so I put it up there. But maybe it gets you around faster. Teleportation, uh-huh, think how much time we'd save if we could just teleport one place to the other and we didn't have to actually travel around like that. But since we can't teleport, at least we should have our own private jet pack, right? Come on, that's all I'm asking for, a jet pack. Take off in your backyard, you land at work, wouldn't that be great? Technology was supposed to rescue us. See, when I was a kid, I thought by the time I reached the age that I am now, I would have Rosie from the Jetsons. Everybody would. Right? We would all have robot maids that took care of the kids and put the dog on the treadmill for the walk and press that button that made the food come out. Right? But none of us have Rosie. Instead, you know what technology got us? The Roomba. No Rosie, but we get a vacuum that bumps into the walls. Right? You know what we did get? We did get the ability to talk on the phone while riding in the car. And we have the ability to send email while we're talking on the phone while we're riding in the car. And we got the ability to add things to our calendar while we're sending email while we're talking on the phone while we're riding in the car. And we got the ability to crash our cars <laughs> because we're doing all these things, right? Do you feel like technology has made your life easier? Do you ever sit back and you go, Wow, what am I going to do with all of my free time? We don't say that, right? You know why? Because we've adopted the pace of our machines. We've adopted the pace of technology. You see, technology didn't work because what we do is technology has just given us this ability to continue to kind of fill the gaps in our lives and to add sand and to add sand and to add more sand. To put all of the little things in there. 
Now, I have to be absolutely honest with you. If there's ever a message that I felt like a hypocrite preaching, it's this one. When I told my wife that I was preaching about neighboring well and busyness, she laughed. And she said, they couldn't find anyone else, huh? (laughs) Because honestly, I like busyness. I like busyness because busyness means productivity. I like busyness because busyness means value. If I have a full schedule, it means that people want to be with me, that I'm important. And honestly, there's a little bit of insecurity in me uh, as a youth pastor and having so many people say, you're a youth pastor, what's that mean? You play with kids all day? And I'm like, no, I'm busy. I'm busy, I really am. Let me show you my schedule, right? I like busyness. And the other thing is, um, well, being a professional Christian, (laughs) just kidding, but I work at the church, right? And so I oftentimes feel like, well, you know, I've served, I've given, I've poured out, I've loved on people for my job because I'm a professional Christian. And when I get home, I just want to go home and I want to be home and I want to be inside my home. And so I have all these excuses as to why this doesn't work for me. And you know, my wife is is really good at neighboring. And since we believe in the authority of Scripture, and since Genesis chapter 2 tells us that in marriage the two shall become one, I really am good at neighboring. (laughs) So I don't need to work on it. No, here's the deal. I'm preaching a message that I don't have figured out yet. Uh, I'm a work in progress. And uh, I think all of us are. I think all of us wrestle with busyness, and all of us are a work in progress. So I appreciate the grace, um, especially if you live on my street. I appreciate the grace that you're giving me. But I love this series, and I love this series because it has opened my eyes, and it has caused me to think about, okay, who really are my neighbors? And as we're walking, my wife and I, I'm going, okay, what's their name again? Okay, good, what's their name again? Who lives around me? Am I taking that big rock Seriously, I'm praying, God, splag me. And Pastor Steve last week talked about that, uh, if, if that confuses you. It just is this gut-wrenching compassion that we're supposed to have for our neighbors. And yet I continue to live at this fast pace, and I think we all continue to live at this fast pace, even though we understand what some of the big rocks are, because we've bought into some things that aren't true. We've bought into some lies, Here's three of them. Here's the first one. You ever catch yourself saying this? Things will settle down someday. Right? Don't we say that? Don't we say, well, if I can just get through this weekend, if I can just get get through this week, this month, if I can just make it to 2014, oh, things were going to settle down then. I'm so guilty of that. I remember at the beginning of May praying, okay, Jesus, just get me to the end of May. Right? People who retire now are busier than ever. You know when things settle down? Things settle down when you radically readjust your schedule or you die. That's when things settle down. Things won't settle down on their own, and yet we've bought into this lie where we think, oh, I can go at this pace for a while. I can go at this pace for a while. Things will settle down someday. They don't, unless you do something about it. Here's another one. More will be enough. 
we think more will be enough. If I, can, if I can just have this one more thing, if I can just do this one more accomplishment, then I will be satisfied, then I will be able to sit back. It's this if-then statement that we work in our head. If I have that, if I can do that, if I can be that, then I will be content, then I will find some peace in my life. Someone once asked John Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? And he said, one more dollar. Just a little bit more. I need just a little bit more. Listen, more will never be enough. Because there's always more. And so we can't buy into that lie that tells us, oh, more. If you just get that, if you just get that, you'll be good. More will never be enough. The third thing is this. Everybody lives like this. We think it's just the price of living in the 21st century, right? Well, everybody lives like this, and, and our schedules then become our trophies. Well, yeah, you think you're busy. I slept two hours last week. I have a lot of stuff going on in my world, right? It's just what we do. Believe it or not, there are people that don't live in that hectic lifestyle. And I'll be honest, I'm so twisted into this busyness model that when I see those people, I pity them. And I say, oh, they just don't have the work ethic. Isn't it a shame that they don't have that drive to succeed? Isn't it too bad that they're not living up to their potential? Right? Not everybody lives like that. We don't have to live like that. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to rob and to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Now Jesus didn't say, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So just pack as much as you can and make your life full. No, he was saying, I've come that you would have it to the full, to have it abundantly, that it would be so much beyond what your expectations are, that it wouldn't be about stuff, that it would be about the big rocks, that it would be about the important things. And when you focus on the important things, you're going to see that that is abundant life. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. He had the most important purpose in the history of the world. He had so much that he needed to do. He had so much direction. And yet he always had time for people. And he always saw people and he always loved well. In Luke 18, you see parents bringing children to Jesus to have him pray for them and to bless them. And the disciples scold the parents. Listen, the master's busy. Listen, we have more important things to do. Take your runny-nosed kids and get them out, right? And Jesus says, no, let the children come. Later on in that same chapter as he's walking to Jericho, there's two blind men, and they're like, is that Jesus? Is that the Messiah? Jesus, and, and people are shouting them down. And they're saying he has more important things to do. Be quiet. And Jesus stops. In Luke chapter 8, Jairus comes to Christ, and he's a leader at his local church, and, and he says, listen, I have one child, a 12-year-old daughter, and she's dying. Would you please come? And so Jesus says, sure, and he starts walking, and, and as he's walking along, I just get this picture of Jairus like, yes, yes, let's go, let's go, let's go, come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, and someone touches the edge of Jesus' clothing, and Jesus stops. And he asks questions, and he has a conversation, and he heals this woman. And all the time, can't you see Jairus like, come on, come on, come on, hurry, hurry, hurry. Now, Christ knew the importance of what he was going to do, but he also knew the importance of the moment that he was in. And I don't think we always do. 
But I still think we always are like, hurry, 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 come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Christian author John Ortberg says that we have hurry sickness. And he says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is one thing hurried people don't have. Time is one thing that hurried people don't have. We need to be more intentional with our time. And I think sometimes our response to something like this would be, well, okay, I'll just try harder. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna add the love your neighbor thing to my to-do list. Because we understand that success is tied to work ethic. And if I just work a little bit harder, then I'll do really well at this neighboring thing. And for this kind of thing, that's not gonna work. Work harder is not the solution. You see, the solution is to let Christ come in and and radically readjust your schedule. It's a gift to you. It's a gift that he wants to give. He wants you to focus on the big rocks. He wants you to have time for the most important things. And so it's not, oh, I'll try harder. It's, oh, I'll surrender. I'll surrender my schedule to you. I'll allow you to break in to the craziness of my world and make some adjustments. I wanna give you three things, three handles that that we can walk away with this morning to help us get on the right path, to help us focus on the big rocks. The first is this, just make the main thing the main thing. I wanna give you permission over the next few days, this afternoon, uh, whatever it takes for you, to have a big rock discussion with your spouse, with your family, with the people around you. Decide, what are the big rocks? All right, now, now we've got two of them from Matthew chapter 22. There's probably a couple more, but then here's what you need to do. You need to allow the things at the top of your list to drive your life. You can't allow all of this filler to drive your life. You have to allow the things at the top of the list to drive your life. What are your big rocks? Keep the main thing the main thing. The second is this, eliminate time stealers. There are certain things that take too much time away from you. There are certain things that are sand and not the big rocks. And so we need to eliminate them. Dare I say Facebook or the internet or video games, right? There are certain things that take us away from the big rocks. Maybe you have just one TV show instead of five, right? And and I'm I'm not trying to make this hard. It shouldn't be harder than it really is, you know? Make the time to neighbor. Instead of pulling straight into your garage or hiding behind your cell phone like we do when you get out of the car and you don't wanna talk to anybody so you just look at your phone like it's really important so you don't have to make eye contact with anybody. Stop, have a conversation. Talk to your neighbor over the fence. Make it a point to share something as you casually are at the mailbox. I got a text this past week that just had one word. It said Frisbee. It was from my next door neighbor. So we went out, we caught Frisbee in the street, and we met a lot of our neighbors because we kept hitting their cars. (laughs) We're not very good. Michelangelo said about sculpting his masterpiece, David, I started with the block of marble and took away anything that wasn't a part of the masterpiece. And there are certain things that we just need to chip away, that we need to get rid of. We need to eliminate the time stealers. And the third thing is this, we need to be interruptible. 
We need to be willing to be inconvenienced by other people. We need to have this understanding that our schedules, our smartphones, our calendars aren't the most important things in our lives. That people are. Now, if you're a parent of young children, you might have this getting interrupted thing down. And you understand what that looks like. But all of us need to be that way. And it's not that we sit around and we wait and we wait and we wait. But it's when it happens, when something comes up, are you willing to be interrupted from your schedule? Are you willing to see people? And so I'll ask again, are you living life at a pace that allows you to neighbor well? Because Jesus said, listen, everything Everything hangs on these two things. Love God with everything that's in you and love your neighbor as yourself.